Let's pray. Father, I do thank you as we come to the start of the year and as we begin this journey through Luke's Gospel. Father, speak to us, we pray, from your word as we seek to follow Jesus together. Amen. Well, it is in many ways the start of the year. Uh, I think as you kick off February, that's the reality here in Australia. The holidays are finished. Uh, The daily daily grind is uh, back in our face. Kids are off to school. That's a blessing. Um, And we've got a great year ahead of ministry. And I thought as I was preparing, in many ways, um, the chapter we're looking at really prepares us for the year ahead. Uh, We've got John the Baptist, uh, as he's affectionately known. I'm going to talk about that in a moment really preparing the way and I've called today's message, um, I'll just get my clicker, where have I left it? Oh dear. Is that it? It is, prepare to meet God. (laughs) I am just back from holidays. And I was thinking about preparations, let me just change gear uh, as we think about um, preparing to meet God this year, <laughs> sorry I'm a bit thrown by that, and uh, I'm in the midst of uh, wedding preparations. Uh, if you don't know, my eldest daughter, uh, Rebecca, is getting married in four weeks minus one day, 27 days and uh, a couple of hours, two o'clock, Saturday afternoon, 2nd of March, uh, we're on a timetable. And anyway, it's going very well. Um, my daughter's very good for me at that level. She's very organised and uh, she's got this really working well. And we thought for some light relief, uh, we'd sit down with my future son-in-law, Shane, and watch the movie uh, Father of the Bride. Now, people familiar with Steve Martin, Father of the Bride? I used to think it was a funny movie. <laughs> I didn't think it was that funny, actually, this time around. <laughs> Frank, anyway... And as we start the year, I guess the question for me is, are we ready? And more importantly, are you ready to meet with God again? Or maybe are you ready to meet God for the first time? Every year brings new opportunities. And uh, I think one of the great blessings of starting the year is, in a sense, you can start again. And we've got a whole year in front of us. And are we ready to meet God? Well, John the Baptist will help us prepare for that. And if you've got your Bibles there, please do open up. We're at page 1016-1016. And we're starting at chapter 3. We've actually worked through chapters 1 and 2 in the lead up to Christmas. We did that deliberately. We thought that's a great time to reflect on the opening chapters of Luke. Uh, But the journey we're calling, following Jesus together, as we go now from Luke chapter 3, and we're not going to get to the end of Luke's Gospel by the end of the year, Uh, We're going to have a couple of breaks along the way. We'll probably get up to somewhere about 18, 19 and we'll come back this time next year and do the Passion Narratives as Jesus enters Jerusalem. But we want to take our time and go through on this very significant journey of walking with Luke through his Gospel to understand and meet Jesus again and follow him together. And the words of uh, chapter 3 begin this way, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar... When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. And the first thing I want to say to us is, um, what strikes me is God works in real people's lives in history. 
And it's a very striking start. It's one of those starts that if you're the Bible reader, you think, why did I get this passage uh, with all the names? But it's worth asking the question, why does Luke begin chapter 3 this way? Well, I think he's very intentional. What he's wanting to do is anchor the story about the Lord Jesus Christ firmly in the pages of history. And it's interesting, seven different leaders of the day are mentioned. The first one is the Caesar, Tiberius. And he was the reigning Caesar of the day when Jesus began his ministry. The second mention is Pontius Pilate. Now, the Caesar was, if I can say, the leader of the known Western world of that time. He oversaw and ruled Rome. It was a very powerful political entity. Underneath him, there were a series of regional rulers uh, that helped him out. And so there were imperial uh, imperial provinces and senatorial provinces. And they would have either, if I can say, a Roman army figure who would lead them or they would have a kind of chief uh, financial kind of administrative officer who would lead them, not quite as significant a player. And obviously the further you got out uh, and the more minor the area, uh, the less significant the people. And the one that was leading the area that Jesus ministered in was Pontius Pilate. He was the prefect or the governor for Judea. And he reported to Tiberius. Now, the practice of the Romans was at one level to, in a sense, work with the people Uh, and so they would on occasions have a co-ruler with them. And this is the case that you find in the area that Jesus ministered in with Israel. Uh, You had the Roman ruler underneath Tiberius that was Pontius Pilate and then alongside him you had local rulers and one of them was Herod. He was the tetrarch, if I can say, or kind of the official for the Galilee region. And the area that Pontius Pilate oversaw, there were three different local rulers that he co-ruled with. He was over them, but there was a real sense they had authority as well. And so we mentioned uh, that he has uh, Philip along with Licinius. And so there you've got five key historical figures that we know of uh, from that time. And lastly, he mentions two religious leaders. Uh, The first is Annas. He was the former high priest and his son-in-law Caiaphas who was the present high priest. Uh, It's interesting that Annas is mentioned because he wasn't in charge in that sense as the high priest. He'd been the high priest uh, but obviously was a significant person. When you read John chapter 18, when the soldiers come and arrest Jesus, John records that the first person they took Jesus to as they arrested him was not Caiaphas, the reigning high priest, but it was Annas the former high priest, so obviously a significant figure. And I thought to myself, why does Luke put things together this way? Well, he's wanting to say this story is not fable or fiction. Uh, It's not myth or made up. It's rooted firmly in the pages of history. And it's interesting that he doesn't begin with the religious leaders. He actually begins with the world leaders. In other words, this message of hope and salvation that John is going to announce is actually a message for the world. Jesus was born into a particular time in world history where Tiberius ruled, where Pontius was in charge in Judea, where Herod co-ruled, where Philip and Licinius also were there in the other provinces and where Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. And John began his ministry in AD 29 
Now we know that because when you put those seven figures together, it could only be AD 29. In the same way, if I said to you, um, we are currently in the period in Australia where Julia Gillard is the Prime Minister of Australia, where Tony Abbott is the opposition leader, where Barry O'Farrell is the New South Wales Premier, Bruce Robinson is the opposition leader for the Labor Party, where Jean Hay is the Mayor of Manly, Peter Jensen the Archbishop of Sydney and Glenn Davies the Bishop of North Sydney, Bruce Clark got up to speak. Now that list of names could only occur up until September, October. And not because I'm a prophet about what's going to happen about the elections, it's because Peter Jensen's retiring. And we will have an Archbishop that is new come October this year. And so when you put figures together, you can actually narrow history down. John met God in the desert in AD 29. And the story of the Bible is the story of a God who enters history and works in real people's lives. And my prayer is, in the year of 2013, after our Lord, he will work in our lives in a very real and significant way. Are you ready to meet with God this year? What is your prayer for how God will work in your life this year? Well, the second thing I notice is this. God so often begins his work in the wilderness. Have a look at the end of chapter, uh, verse 2. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the, de- in the desert. Now, interestingly, it's not John the Baptist, but John the son of Zechariah. Um, he's a man who came from a family. And God meets him in the wilderness, in the desert. And I was thinking about this reality. Uh, that the beginning of John's ministry is out in the desert, it's in the wilderness. And I started to think about all the different people whom God met through the pages of Scripture who were in the wilderness, so to speak, if I can use that uh, in a broad sense. Uh, Jacob had a prophecy when he was with the family, but his significant time of being dealt with with God was actually when he was in prison under a foreign ruler, away from his people. Uh, You think of Moses who after a couple of years uh, was born in a sense into privilege in the palace but left that, went to his people and then fled them. And he met God at the burning bush, not in the midst of all of his people but in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. Uh, Israel themselves, when they encountered God in their most powerful life-changing way, it's at Mount Sinai after the Exodus, after they've fled Egypt. King David, yes, he was called while in Israel, safe with his family. But his significant time was actually in the wilderness when he had to flee for his life from King Saul and learn to trust and depend upon God. Uh, Elijah, afraid for his life, flees to Mount Sinai. He runs 400 kilometres and it's there that God meets him at Mount Sinai. Uh, Jonah tried to run away from God and where does God meet him? (laughs) In the belly of a fish as he was on his way to Tarshish. Daniel, uh, his experience of God is in Babylon in exile under foreign rule. Nehemiah, he served a foreign king in exile in Susa. And God meets John the Baptist in the wilderness and speaks to him. And God had been silent for 460 years up until this point. Now, why make mention of this? Well, Luke makes mentions of this. 
And it just struck me how often uh, the significant work of God occurs when the distractions and the noises of life are stripped away from us. And John, we know from Luke chapter 1, verse 80, um, spent a lot of time out in the desert and it's there that God meets him, away from the distractions and the clattering of life and the busyness and the hustle. I want to say to people um, two things. If you're in the wilderness, so to speak, uh, it's a period of life where you're doing it tough. Um, So often this can also be the time in your life where God meets you at your lowest, at your quietest, when things really are tough and you feel away in the wilderness, allow God to speak to you in that time and strengthen you for the year ahead. But I also want to say about fasting. Um, I think one of the things that fasting does, and fasting biblically is to not eat food. It's not just to not have chocolate or alcohol uh, or uh, coffee. Uh, It's to not eat food. And when you don't eat, um, what's removed from you is not just food but also fellowship Uh, because food and company go together, don't they? We eat and one of the great things about having a meal is not just the food, it's actually the time when you're together. And what do families bemoan? The fact that we don't have the family eating but what are they saying? Sitting down together. And let me tell you, if you fast, a glass of water is over pretty quickly (laughs) or a glass of fruit juice is over pretty quickly. It's the thing that strikes me the most as I fast during this week. Um, I'll have a glass of juice in the morning and get on my way and breakfast is done and there's no one to hang out with and lunch is the same and dinner is the same. And it actually strips away the noises of life and brings you to a place where you can be alone before God and that's one of the great reasons to practice this it frees you up to pray and seek God in a way that in the normal course of life and eating and fellowship you don't do and that's why I'm challenging people even if just for one day now I know people for medical reasons can't Um, Dave our music director is a um, diabetic it's not a good thing for him to not eat Uh, in fact it's a terrible thing But many of us can, and I want to challenge you and come and see me afterwards to take a day if you can't do the week and have that day so that you can focus and you can spend time with God as we start the year and you can also call upon God and pray for the work of the parish. Well, let me move on and ask the question, are you ready to meet God? Um, John is presented to us by Luke not as a baptizer, but really as one of the last prophets of the Old Testament and we know John as John the Baptist but he really was John the preacher, John the prophet and the way Luke describes his calling is reminiscent of the prophets in the Old Testament. You look at Jeremiah and the way he is called in chapter 1. Luke is very similar in presenting John this way and what he proceeds to describe for us is not his baptism ministry in detail though it's there He takes Israel out to the River Jordan and he goes to the River Jordan because that is where historically Israel first entered into the land. It's where they began their journey of life under God's blessing. 
they in a sense were baptised as a nation at the River Jordan when God opened the waters and they walked through. And John takes them back to their roots to prepare to meet God again. But the heart of his ministry was his message. John was a preacher. And so how do you get ready? Well, John wanted people to listen to God's word. That's what he brought. And he brought a message of repentance. Have a look at verse 3. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. How do we get ready for God this year? Let me say one of the disciplines we need to keep recommitting ourselves to is the discipline of hearing God speak to us in his word. And if you're someone who's very regular with that, let me encourage you to keep going with that. But let me just remind us about the importance of hearing God's word. John the Baptist prepared the people to meet God by proclaiming his word. And we need to be doing the same. We need to be people who are listening to the word of God and responding to it. Now, coming up in March, to encourage and help the church in just basic personal Bible reading, we're doing something that Scripture Union has put out, which is called the E100 Bible Reading Challenge. It's a 100-day Bible reading program for a whole church to go through. Uh, We're going to be talking more about it next week, but our encouragement is that as we start the year, all of us are actually reading the Word of God together. And we've got 100 readings that we're going to be encouraging people to read through. We've got paper versions, we've got electronic versions, you've got apps for your phone, you name it, they've done it. uh, And we're going to be signing up and getting involved. But let me say, it's also a great time of the year if you've not been in a small group to sign up for one. Uh, They're about to kick off for the year. And if you've never been in a group, let me encourage you on your Connect card, put down, um, help me find a group where I can meet people and study the Word of God together. And thirdly, let me say um, one of the key things we do each week is we come here on Sunday and sit under the Word of God. That's why the message is a key part of our time together, our Bible reading. Recommit to coming every week to Sunday to gather and hearing God's Word proclaimed. But what was John's message? Uh, It was a very simple message. It was repentance. It was to turn around. And he quotes there the words of Isaiah the prophet. And what he says is, um, there's a, I'm a, basically there's a voice of one calling in the desert and he really is saying that's him. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way is smooth. Now what is he speaking about here? Um, what he's saying is, um, I am here as a messenger to prepare you because God is coming. And when he comes, he's going to be like a bulldozer that just flattens the mountains and fills in the valleys. Such is his presence and his force. Now, many of you probably have travelled from Sydney down to Canberra and you think about uh, the freeways that you'll go on. And the incredible thing with freeways is you will travel through hills that have literally been cut aside so the road can go straight. There's valleys that have been filled in. And you've got this road that just goes straight through the geography. And the image that Isaiah is giving us is an image that is like that. When God comes, uh, not even the valleys and the hills can contain him. They will be levelled out 
in his presence when he arrives. And that is why he says, repent, turn around, get your life ready for him. You see, what he was announcing was that the Lord Jesus, the great saviour, is about to arrive. And friends, we know he has arrived and not just arrived but lived and died and risen. And as we start a new year of following Jesus together, let us have lives that are repentant, that are turned around to him. And let us deal with the issues that have bogged us down in the past year and put them aside by repenting of them so that we are ready to serve the Lord with all of our life this year because the Lord Jesus is the King and he is the one when he returns a second time that no one will be able to stand against. May we be people who are ready. And you see, he has a discussion with the crowds. You see, the crowds have come out. He's baptising people. He's proclaiming that uh, the kingdom of God is near, repent. And all these people come out to look and they're kind of a mixed and motley crew. And he says to them in verse 7, as the crowds came out to be be baptised by him, you brood of vipers. That's kind of a nice warm welcome to church, isn't it? Great to see you, snakes. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And you just wonder who he was looking at that morning. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, uh, actually, we've got Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. In other words, um, I don't need to do this stuff. I don't need to repent. I don't know why people are getting baptised. I've got heritage. You know, I've been a Christian all my life. Haven't I? One of the great dangers is we think because we've gone to church, um, we've been born again and we've repented and given our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It is one of the great dangers. The reality is our faith must be our own. Our response must be personal uh, and it must be total in the sense of turning our life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and repenting. And baptism is a symbol of that, that the old person has died and a new person is alive now with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to the crowds, he warns them, make sure your response is genuine. What should we do then, the crowd asked. Well, John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, Uh, What should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Uh, In the Reformation, when they rediscovered the gospel, they talked about the fact that we are saved, we are justified by trusting in God alone through faith. We are justified by faith alone. But they also said, uh, genuine faith, justifying faith is never alone. In other words, it produces fruit. And that is what John is saying here. You see it there. 
uh, in verse 8, produce fruit in keeping your, with your repentance. In other words, you're coming here saying you're repentant. Produce the fruit in your life that is the fruit of faith. And what is interesting as he talks to the crowds, he talks to the tax collectors, he talks to the soldiers. There's a number of key issues that are addressed. He doesn't talk to them about their prayer life, uh, their Bible reading habits, as important as they are. Uh, He focuses on social justice, honesty and integrity of life and contentment and generosity with our finances. Uh, To the crowds, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. The one who has food should do the same, i.e. with those who don't have food. In other words, uh, genuine faith will be seen in how you treat your fellow human and you provide and care for their needs. To the tax collectors, um, don't collect any more than you're required to. Genuine faith will be seen in an honesty and an integrity of life. It will be the fruit of your faith. Uh, To the soldiers, he says, um, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. In other words, genuine faith will not seek to get rich because you love money. You'll be content with what you have. And you'll be marked, if I can put it together, by a generosity towards others. And if I can take this the other side of the cross, a generosity towards gospel ministry. You see, the fruit of genuine repentance and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is issued in a genuine love for your neighbour, a genuine concern for their needs that will touch your hip pocket, that will affect your life because, you see, you have contentment in Christ. You have riches in him. And so all the blessings you have, you want to share with others. That's why I've put the uh, regular weekly offering card in there. Uh, You might need to get your finances sorted out. Do it at the start of the year. Let me encourage you. Uh, But let me finish with this thought. Um, The last thing that John says is Jesus is coming. And this year is a year really about following Jesus together. Let me read to you from verse 15 and I'll finish here. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. You see, they were amazed at him and thought maybe this is the one God had promised who would be our saviour. And John answered them all. He said, I baptise you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, I baptise with water, but the one who is going to totally transform you is the one who will pour out his spirit upon you. And when that happens, you will never be the same. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather up the wheat in the barn, but he'll burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. He'll come to transform people. He will come to judge people. You see, he separates the chaff and the wheat, the fake from the real. The Son of Man comes in judgment. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and with many other words, sorry, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire and with many other words John exhorted the people and preached the good news to him. In other words, he said to them, friends, are you ready? The kingdom of God is coming and that's my message to us this day. Where are you heading in 2013? Are you ready for God? 
Are your hearts and minds and lives ready to serve him for another year? Let me encourage you. That's why we're here today, to get ready. Let's have some time to be quiet and to ask ourselves the question, am I ready to serve this God this year or do I need to repent of certain things? Uh, Do I need to get my life fixed up in whatever area? Uh, Do I need to start taking the word of God in? Do I need to change how I treat people? Do I need to change how I use my finances? Is there a reality of the fruit of repentance in my life? Friends, let us submit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ on this day and be prepared to serve him this year. I'm going to leave some time to be quiet to do that and then Dave's going to come up and lead us in communion. Thanks, Dave.